Hey friends, this is Pastor Brian Worf. Thanks for listening to my latest sermon. Get more of my teachings on YouTube at Chapel of Change TV and tune in every Sunday on the radio on 99.5 FM for fresh hope. God is good all the time. Amen. Laura must have taught you something that she didn't tell me. God is good. All right. He is extremely good. We also brought back some flags. So every Sunday we're going to be passing out these flags. And just it's just a tool to help worship the Lord. You know, in the Old Testament they would uh, hang the banner of God up. Amen. So you're, in, you're encouraged if you so feel free to worship the Lord with that uh, during worship. Uh, I'm super excited about our... Uh, Breaking Soul Ties workshop that you just heard. Uh, that's Brother Pete and his wife. And Pete uh, is a spirit-filled uh, psychotherapist. <laughs> Did you catch that? He's a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, born-again, devil-stomping devil psychotherapist. And him and his wife are just a gift to the church, and they kind of specialize in helping people to understand about unhealthy soul ties. And they're going to be doing a three-week workshop after Easter on Wednesday at our Carson campus, and we're going to be leaning in towards praying people to be delivered from unhealthy soul ties. And one of the things that I've seen in the last 10 years uh, is that people uh, going back to their old kind of behavior of sin uh, because they never broke the tie, the soul tie, that they connected with an unhealthy or ungodly person. So I really want to encourage you to be a part of that and, and, and experience greater levels of freedom uh, to that degree. Someone shout amen. amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're going to uh, be reading. I'm actually going to skip to verse 41. Uh, I'm going to start reading on verse 41. But before, as you turn to that uh, scripture, don't forget this is Passion Week. Uh, this is the week where we reflect upon the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And we have Good Friday service this Friday here at 645. I invite everybody to come as we take communion together this Friday. And I want also to let you know that our Easter celebration actually starts on Saturday in the city of Whittier at 5 p.m. Uh, we're going to have a powerful time in the Lord there. Our young adults are going to do a skit about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I invite you on a Saturday night, go to our Whittier campus at 5 p.m., worship the Lord with us there. Some people asked me, they said, why are you guys... Uh, ha start on a Saturday night and uh, the basic answer is we can't wait till Sunday can't wait and so also be reminded that uh, early Sunday morning 6 a.m. we're going to be in the parking lot right here we do this every year it is uh, just a wonderful experience to worship the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes out and we have our uh, yearly tradition where we release the doves in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you don't want to miss that. And then for the first time ever, we're really going out on faith on this. 
for the first time ever, we're bringing all our campuses together at 10.15 a.m. at the Carson Civic Center, all right? So I need you to get this. It's not at Carson Campus. It is at the Civic Center. The address is on the flyer. The address is on the, uh, the website. Uh, and we rented a 900-seat kind of auditorium. And we are believing God to just fill it up. So uh, we're going to encourage you to bring a carload of people. Bring your friends. Bring your family. Fill up a couple rows. We uh, typically have families in our church uh, that they commit to filling up a row or a two rows. We have one family one time. They filled up like three rows at church, which was a huge kind of thing for the Lord. So really, really want to encourage you to come out that day. We're believing people to get saved, delivered. Uh, we're believing people to recommit their lives unto the Lord. And Easter is always the sign of a new season. So we're using Easter as a sign, new season, Lord. We're going into a new season uh, as families, as a church, as individuals. Someone shout amen to that. And then lastly, if you're part of Chapel of Change, every year it is our tradition uh, to give on Easter weekend a sacrificial offering unto the Lord. Uh, we come to the house of the Lord that weekend, and in honor of Christ's death, and resurrection, we give a special sacrificial offering unto the Lord. I really want to encourage you to participate in that. Use it as a spiritual exercise. If you have a family, if you have kids, typically what we do with our kids is we sit around the table, we talk about what we're going to give, we pray about what we're going to give, and we do it as a family, as a spiritual exercise to give unto the Lord. So want to encourage you to participate. Everybody participate in that sacrificial offering unto the Lord. Remember, this year is the offering is going to the down payment to our Kingsman discipleship home that we have right here on the parking lot in the corner over there. People are asking, what house is it? What house is it? Well, if you drive to the corner of the parking lot, in our parking lot, it's that corner house. You'll see it has a pool in there. doesn't have no water yet, just the rain water is up in there. But one day we're going to fill it up and we'll do some baptisms there. And I can't wait to do an open house. So remember, that offering is going to go towards our Kingsman Discipleship Home. So help uh, and participate. Uh, remember... Uh, lastly, no Thursday service this week at our Paramount campus. In fact, no Tuesday at our Long Beach, no Wednesday at our Carson because we're coming together for Good Friday, uh, 6.45 p.m. here. Or if you can't make the 6.45, 8 p.m. at our Carson campus. So you have two options. Let's turn in our Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to start off at verse 41. The word of the Lord reads, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, 
because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. Let's pray over God's word. Father, thank you for your word. We gather around your word to eat, feed us, feed us faith, feed us love, feed us joy. Don't allow us to leave as we came in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. I was teaching last week at our Carson midweek service, and I was reminding the congregation that uh, the primary gift that God has given me is that of a Bible teacher, a Bible teacher. Um, and as I was thinking about this gift that God has given me, it's kind of funny because I don't know how God gave it to me. Like, I don't know how God gave it to me, and I don't know when God gave it to me. I, I can't tell you when God gave me this uh, particular gift to teach the Bible. What I, what I do remember is that about 30 years ago when I started serving the Lord, uh, the Lord gave me a ferocious hunger for His Word. And I remember being in my prison cell, and I remember... Laura bought me my first leather Bible. I was so excited. I was waiting for this Bible. I still got it today, this Bible that Laura bought me. And when I got that Bible, uh, I was about 18 or 19, 18 years old at that time. And uh, man, I was so excited. I was, you know how when you buy new shoes, you smell the new shoes? Anybody do that? All right, I'm the only one that does that, right? But you know that smell of a new car or new shoes? I remember getting my first leather Bible and taking a, a big smell of the Bible. And it just, it just kind of just, it just touched my heart to have my first Bible. And I remember uh, writing in my Bible and writing notes in my Bible because you're supposed to write in your Bible. You're supposed to circle words in your Bible. You're supposed to highlight your Bible. You're supposed to demolish that Bible by studying it. In fact, you should go through uh, a, a new Bible probably every two years or something. But I remember studying my Bible and, and reading my Bible and just really having this hunger for my Bible. And through that experience, I believe God deposited in me uh, this, this gift to be able to teach the Word of God. Now, as a Bible teacher, you, you need to understand because, see, we have... Uh, we have like a relationship, you and I, because we gather, we pray, we worship, and then I come and I, and I, and I open up the Bible and we learn the Bible together. So you need to kind of learn uh, uh, some of the behind the scenes and the objectives of a Bible teacher so you can come to the house of the Lord ready in anticipation. So uh, as a Bible teacher, my burden is not to bring to you some great idea that I thought about during the week. That's not my burden. My, my burden is not to like, I don't go in my room and say, Lord, give me an idea. Give me an idea so I can present to the church and, and, and give you this idea and then put together a couple of scriptures to back up that idea. No, that's, that's not the burden 
of a Bible teacher. The burden of the Bible teacher is to present the word of God to you and to unpack the word of God to the degree where you get understanding of the word of God. Are you following along? That's the burden of a Bible teacher. It's to present to you with, with holy respect and honor before God and this, this reverence before God that we have the inspired word of God before us to dissect, to read, to eat, to learn. And in some way, in our prayer, in our worship, in our studying of God's word, the Holy Spirit illuminates to us what the word of God means. This illumination, this this experience where you, you, you say, man, I get it. I understand. I get that. I understand that. Wouldn't you? That's where the gold is at. It's in that illumination by the Holy Spirit uh, that when you say, man, I, I understand that now. Like, like, have you ever read the Bible? You didn't understand it? Right? Like, oftentimes, you read the Bible like a magazine, National Geographic, or whatever it may be, and you don't get it. You walk away unchanged, untransformed. It's because you didn't get the illumination by the Holy Spirit of that Scripture. But when you get an illumination, and the Holy Spirit shines the light of the Scripture uh, on your soul, and you understand a glimpse of the Word of God, that's where the gold is at. That's where the transformation is at. That's, that's where... The, the power is at. And so my, my burden as a Bible teacher is not to come here and teach you something new, uh, but more so to remind you of some things you should never forget. That's my desire. That's my purpose is to not so much to give you something new, but to remind you of things that you should never forget forget. Now, everybody is in a different stage in our walk with God. So, of course, some things will be new to you. Uh, but chiefly, I'm here to remind you of what God says. And my brothers and sisters, we have the word of God. We have the inspired word of God. So I encourage you that whenever we break open the word of God, listen intently. I encourage you to lean in to the word of God because this is the word of our king. This is the word of our savior. This is the word of the creator of heaven and earth. And if you'll lean into the word of God, God will speak to you. And one word from God can change your life forever and ever and ever and ever so we come across this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 19 and this is what is referred to as uh, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem uh, this is uh, referred to as Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday uh, this is the, the moment where Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the very last time. This is the occasion 
where Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the very last time right before he dies on the cross. So within days of this occasion, Jesus is going to be hung up on a cross and he's going to be crucified and he's going to be tortured and he's going to bleed and he's going to die for you and I. And by the way, my brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that in the Christian calendar, this week is called Holy Week. This is uh, called Passion Week. This is the week where the people of God temporarily put aside the celebration of the kingdom of God. And we begin to meditate on the crucifixion of God. This is the time uh, in the year where the, where the church temporarily puts aside the celebration of, of the kingdom of God and we begin to dwell and we begin to, we begin to meditate on the agony of Jesus, the pain of Jesus, the tears of Jesus, the weeping of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, now, it's in our human nature where we don't want to experience pain, and I get that. It's in our human nature where we want to rush through the bad news, and we want to rush through the pain. But I urge you this week, don't rush through the pain of Jesus because his pain will heal you. His pain will save you. His pain is for your gain. So this week, we contemplate on the tears of Jesus and and let me, let me remind you that if you appreciate the crucifixion, you'll appreciate the resurrection. If you really reflect upon the crucifixion, if you really uh, uh, meditate upon the crucifixion, when that resurrection day comes, you'll have a new song in your heart. You'll have a new song on your lips because you understand, you feel the pain that he went through to save and redeem mankind. And so... This is the occasion where Jesus fulfills the prophetic words of the Messiah that our king is going to enter into Jerusalem and he's going to die for us and he's going to agonize for us. And it is on this occasion where Jesus begins to weep and he begins to cry. And I want to just pull out a couple observations from this passage of scripture that I believe is going to feed our soul. It's going to be able to, it's going to strengthen our soul. And the first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus stares at the city. He stares at the city. And I want us to think about this. Um, I want you to envision in your mind the scene that Jesus, instead of Sneaking into the city of Jerusalem, he, he walks upon a high hill that is at the entrance of Jerusalem. And instead of rapidly walking down the hill, he pauses and he has this panoramic view of Jerusalem. And he, he stares into Jerusalem. The Bible says he saw Jerusalem. That word saw means to stare. It means to discern clearly. And I want us to think that Jesus didn't just glimpse into Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus didn't just uh, peek 
into Jerusalem? No. Jesus uh, stares deeply into Jerusalem. He discerns clearly into Jerusalem. It was as if he stared into the soul of Jerusalem. It was as if he stared into the soul of Jerusalem. It was a deep stare. It was an intense stare. And you know, when you study the life of Jesus, this is not the only time he's done this with people. In fact, there was a place in Luke chapter 13 when this lady was suffering from an illness for many years and everybody thought that her illness was her main problem. Everybody only was able to look on the surface of her situation. But Jesus comes along and he's able to stare deeper into the life of this individual. And he looks beyond the surface of her problem. And he reveals that it's not actually the sickness that is messing her up. But there's a demon that is actually terrorizing her life. And in this scripture, Luke 13, 12, it says when Jesus saw her, there goes that word, when he saw her, that means he, he looked intently on her. It means that he looked beyond the surface. He was able to discern what was really going on. It says when Jesus saw her condition, he called her to him and gently laid his hand on her. Then he said, dear woman, you are free. So Jesus, he has priors into looking below the surface of a matter into the heart of a situation. That's what he does with Jerusalem. He stands on that hill and he does an x-ray of their soul from that hill. And it's an awkward moment. It's an awkward moment. I don't know if you ever ran into anybody who... Uh, when you look at them, they're able to stare deeply into your soul. I don't know if you ever had that awkward moment, but I've ran into at least two elderly, Holy Spirit-filled women of God, mothers of God, that when you get into their presence, you, you really don't want to look into their eyes because uh, if you lock into their eyes, it feels as if they're looking into your soul. It's an awkward moment. I... Uh, one of our former bishop's wives, she is, she's a spirit-filled mother in, in, in the kingdom of God. And every time I get into her presence, you could just feel that, that I don't want to lock into her eyes. I, I approach her like a little puppy. I put my head down because, because I know once we stare, she's going to stare deeply into my soul. It's an, awkward, it's an awkward situation to be in, but that's what Jesus does. And so as we think about how Jesus stares into the soul of the city of Jerusalem, we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus see? What did Jesus see when he stares deeply into Jerusalem? What is it that he looked at? What is it that he saw? Now, before we answer that, we have to remind ourselves that Jerusalem was a special place in the eyes of God. We got to remind ourselves that Jerusalem was the city of God. It was, it was what the Old Testament referred to as Zion, the holy city of God. Jerusalem was the apple of God's eyes. Before we, we answer the question of what Jesus saw in Jerusalem, you need to be reminded that Jerusalem was the apple of God's eye. It was the recipient of God's mercy. It was the recipient of God's favor. It was the recipient of God's protection. All the way back to King David. Jerusalem was the center of what God was doing. And so he had high expectations. 
for Jerusalem. He had high expectations for Jerusalem. Why, why, why did he have high expectations for Jerusalem? The reason is, whenever God shows you mercy, it's not just for you. It's for you to live out and give to other people. Whenever God shows you grace, it's not just for you. It's for you to live out and to show other people. Whenever God shows you favor, the favor is not just for you. It's not for you to run and, and go in the corner and eat your ice cream all by yourself. No, that favor is for you to demonstrate to the world and to share and to, and to give to other people that your Father may be glorified in heaven. And so whatever God does in us, even though we cry out for it, Lord, show me mercy, Lord, show me kindness, whatever God does in us is not supposed to be an isolated situation. We are to live it out. We are to demonstrate it so that everybody can see that we are people of mercy because God showed us mercy. We are people of love because God showed us love. We are people of forgiveness because God showed us forgiveness. And so Jerusalem was the epic center of God's power in the world. And here you have Jesus standing on a high heel and he, he does this x-ray into their soul and he cries he weeps he sobs what what did he see what did he see sadly he sees injustice sadly he sees pride sadly he sees sin Sadly, instead of a vibrant relationship with God, he sees a spirit of religion that has invaded the people of God. Sadly, he sees disobedience. He sees rebelliousness. Sadly, he sees a people that refuse to follow their God weeps and he cries and this my brothers and sisters this this forces us to ask the hard question we got to ask the hard question today it forces us to ask the question that that what what, what does God see when he looks at us this forces us to look into the mirror of God's word and to examine our own soul. What does God see when he looks at us? What does God see when he looks into your soul? What does God see when he looks into your mind? What, what does God see when he looks into your family? If you're married, what does God see when he looks into your marriage? What does God see? Because I got news for you. If you've ever experienced the mercy of God, he is looking. If you've ever been a recipient of the favor of God, he is looking. If you've ever been a recipient of the grace of God, he is looking. If you've ever been a recipient of God's blessing, you can best believe God is looking. Someone say he's looking. Someone say he's looking. 
Bible says to the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I uh, am the Lord and I search the heart and I examine the mind, God says. I search the heart and I examine the mind, God says. So what, what does God see when he sees us? Us, we who are recipients of the mercy of God, we who are recipients of his love, we who are recipients of his grace. May he see humility. May he see compassion. May he see radical obedience. May he see sacrifice. May he see a zeal for his kingdom. May he see prayer. May he see fasting. May he see worship. May he see praise. May he see the things that pertain to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus stares into the city of Jerusalem and again, Jesus cries for the city. He cries for the city. Now, this word weep, it means to sob bitterly. It means to sob uncontrollably. Uh, when, you, when you think of Jesus in this occasion weeping, uh, it is not just one or two tears coming down his face. This is a major public display of sorrow by your Savior. It is a major public display of sorrow by your Creator. He, he's, he's sobbing uncontrollably. He's weeping bitterly in front of everybody. And it's fascinating because... There's only three places in the Bible where it says that God cried, where Jesus cried. He, he cried over the death of his friend. In John eleven thirty five. 35, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, it says, Jesus wept. If you want to gain some spiritual credibility, memorize that verse this week. Jesus wept. Secondly, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears and then thirdly here as he enters into Jerusalem for the very last time Jesus weeps over the city now now pause for a second and think about this that this scene is described as one of the most tragic and ironic contrasts in human history this, this scene, imagine with me, this scene is one of the most strangest moments in all of time. Why? Because the crowd is expressing great joy, but at the same time, Jesus is express, expressing great sorrow. Imagine this with me. Jesus is expressing great sorrow, but simultaneously the crowd is expressing great joy. It's such an awkward moment. In the same moment, the people are extremely happy. Jesus is extremely sad. At the same time when the people are throwing up cheers, Jesus is dropping tears. The same time. The same time. You would, you would have thought that somebody in the crowd would have noticed 
the contrast. You would have thought that somebody in the crowd would have noticed the contradiction. You would have thought that somebody who was, who was making big noise and, and rejoicing and celebrating would have stopped and said, oh my goodness, there's something wrong with this picture. Something wrong with this picture. How, how is it that I can be rejoicing, but my Savior is sad? You would have thought that somebody would have paused for a second and said, there's something wrong. Something wrong. How can I rejoice and my Savior be sad at the very same time? So it leads us to examine ourselves and ask the tough questions today. And that is, is Jesus rejoicing over your life or is he weeping over your life? Is Jesus weeping over our disobedience or is he rejoicing at our obedience? It's possible, my brothers and sisters, it's possible for us to be rejoicing while the Savior to be sad. We see it right here in the text. There was some level of spiritual blindness that they couldn't even see what was wrong with the picture. So we must ask ourselves, is God rejoicing over our life or is he weeping over our life? Is Jesus weeping over our disobedience or is he rejoicing over our obedience? I don't want to live in such a way that makes God cry. I don't want to live in such a way that puts a frown upon the face of God. I want to live in such a way that makes God smile. I don't want to live in such a way that makes God cry, not me. Someone who's re been a recipient of the mercy of God, the grace of God, and not just one time, and not just two times. I forgot how many times that God has had mercy on me when I messed up. And I don't want to be the one that puts a frown on God's face. I want him to rejoice when he looks down upon my life. I want him to smile when he looks down upon my obedience. I want him to smile when he looks down upon my praise. And I want the same for you. That's my prayer for everybody here is that you live in such a way by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that when God looks down from heaven, he smiles at your life. He rejoices in your life. That's what I want for Chapel of Change. When God looks down upon Chapel of Change, I want him to smile. I want him to have a grin on his face saying, my people are still worshiping him, me. My people are still obeying me. My people are still sacrificing unto me. I want God to respond like that to our church. The Apostle John, he reveals the heart of God when God sees us staying faithful to him. In 3 John 1, 4, listen to what I believe God is saying to us today. Listen to what God says. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know what that teaches me? That teaches me that I have the ability to put a smile on God's face. 
That verse teaches me that I have this ability to make God rejoice over my life. So now when I wake up in the morning, before I even brush my teeth, I have it in my mind. Today, Lord, I'm going to make you smile. Today, I'm going to put a smile on your face. I have no greater joy. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, now back to Jesus. Back to Jesus. Um, he's on top of that hill, and he's weeping over the city. But his weeping is not mere emotionalism. He's not being dramatic here. Uh, Jesus is weeping was a reminder that he cares for us. His tears are a reminder that he cares for us. His tears reveal his compassionate heart. And I want to remind somebody today that God cares for you. I want to remind us as a body here that God cares for us I want to remind us today that God is not a distant God somewhere far away in the distance no that's not the God of our Bible the God of our Bible is an up close and personal God who is concerned with your life my Bible teaches that God is not far away. My Bible teaches that God is up close and personal, that he cares for us. And we see it here with Jesus' weeping. We see it here with the weeping of Jesus. His tears teaches you that he cares. And it runs all throughout the scripture. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you let that hit your spirit let that hit your spirit give all your cares and worries to God for he cares about you one of the reasons why we open up the altar during worship is that no matter how bad of a week you're, you've had you can come to the altar of God and you can give them your worries you can give them your cares you can lay down your anxiety on the altar of God and lighten the spiritual load that is trying to pressure back into the ground give all your worries and cares unto God for he cares for you and so I want to remind us as we think about the tears of Jesus that God cares for you he cares that you are provided for he cares that you are taken care of he cares that you are healed he cares that you are restored he cares that you are delivered I recently was given a fresh revelation of God's care for the world just recently in the last couple days i got a fresh revelation of god's care for the world uh, i recently learned that one of the most helpless or hopeless places on earth is the garbage dump community of guatemala city i want to i want you to see it on the screen up here that this is about 40 acres 
and it's one of the largest open-air garbage dumps in Central America. More than 60,000 people live in extreme poverty in this area of the garbage dump of Guatemala City. The average family of six lives off less than a dollar a day per person and the families, including thousands of kids, live off of the trash. They've even built little homes in this immediate area where they wait for the city to dump the trash and then they scavenge through the trash and they live off of the trash. It is such a violent area that they tell me that even Uber does not drive in that area to pick up anybody. Now, last week, by the grace of God and in partnership with Cornerstone of Hope International, uh, a team of 12 people from Chapel of Change invaded this hopeless place with the fresh hope of King Jesus. Twelve of us, because our mission here at Chapel of Change is to give fresh hope. And you give fresh hope to hopeless places. You don't, you don't sit on fresh hope. You give fresh hope for the hopeless places. And 12 of us, including Pastor Laura and Pastor Sandy, we flew uh, to Guatemala. And I didn't realize this in the moment, but we actually took over a corner on one of the blocks in the Guatemala dump area of the city. And you see our team here ministering fresh hope to the kids. There was over a hundred kids and the chairs went all the way out into the street. We took over a corner for the glory of God. And while we were ministering fresh hope, the Lord gave me a glimpse of his care for the world. I'm going to show you this next picture of this little girl with a smile on her face and her attitude, her smile is a physical manifestation that God still cares for us. We got to put a smile on this little kid's face that reminds us of the care of God. Now, one of the most touching things that I saw over there was very interesting. The, the place is very dangerous. And if you could imagine, we were, uh, 12 of us were in a van squeezed together. And we drove into this community that we'd never been in before. And we just heard like dangerous stories about it. And we're all on edge and we're looking out the window and people are staring at us. And uh, uh, there was a couple places where uh, they said, because Pastor Bo and Tammy went and they were like, man, this is the first gringos we ever seen. Right? That's what they said to Pastor Bo and, and Tammy. And so we're driving in, in the van and we're looking and, and they're looking at us and um, there's... The, at the entrance of the garbage area, there's a big gate. There's a big gate where they enter in. And it didn't help that our driver kind of played a prank on us, and he acted like he was going to turn into the gate. And all the sisters in the car were like, oh, no, don't go, don't go. 
Nah, it was the brothers too. It was the brothers too. But what, but what I saw really touched my heart because right across the street from the gates that enter into the literal garbage dump, right across the street, not a mile down, not a block down, right across the street. And it's not even a big street like Alondra. It's more of an alleyway. But right across the street from the gates of the city dump was this small church made out of metal sheets right in front of the gates and it was there as if to remind me that God is saying I'm not far away I'm right here I'm right here I'm waiting for anybody to call upon my mighty name it's right there in front of the gates and it reminded me that Jesus taught that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. That we're not afraid of the darkness. That we're not afraid of the evil. That we will stake our ground right there next to the gates to declare that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is King. That he is here to save and deliver mankind. This is a manifestation of the power and care of God. Right there. Look at that. Leave it to our Pentecostal brothers and sisters to start a church right in front of the gates of hell. I pray. I pray that our church shows that same spirit. I pray that our church shows that same courage, that same boldness. Whether at your work or at your school, God has sent you there to display the care of God. He has sent you there to be a missionary of fresh hope. Don't be afraid. You're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Just for a couple moments, let's reflect upon the word of the Lord. What was it that God was trying to get across to you? What was it that God's saying to you? As the worship team comes back up and just plays lightly, I want us all to just reverence the Lord. Our heads bowed, our hearts bowed. And let's think and reflect. What was God trying to get across to us? More specifically, let's reflect upon the tears of Jesus. Let's reflect upon the tears of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hosanna in the highest. As we bow our heads in the presence of the Lord, I want to read a scripture for your spirit. I want to, I want to deposit a scripture in your spirit. Just remain in atmosphere, prayer, and reflection. 
but listen to the word of the Lord over your life. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Fear not. Therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. God cares for you. God cares for you. While everybody remains in atmosphere of prayer and reflection. If there's anybody who's going through a season of discouragement, if anybody's going through a hard season and you need prayer, you need strength, we want to pray for you right where you're at. We're going to ask that you just, just stand up right where you're at and we'll pray with you right where you're at. If there's anybody going through a season of difficulty or discouragement and you need prayer, I'm going to ask Pastor Laura to come up and just pray for you as a group. Just stand to your feet. And Pastor Laura will pray for you. And we want to break the spirit of depression. We want to break the spirit of discouragement over their lives in the name of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to lift up your hands unto the Lord. And those that stood up, it's just it's a sign of submission unto the Lord. And, and Pastor Laura, in the name of Jesus, we want to break the spirit of discouragement, break the spirit of depression over their life. If you could pray over them. Lord, I thank you that your word goes before us. I thank you that your word covers us. Thank you for the promises you've given to each one of us. I thank you that you said you would give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for the morning. And I thank you, Lord God, that you said you would replace that spirit of heaviness and cover us with a garment of praise. So, Lord, I just ask, based on your holy word, that even now you would begin to uproot that spirit of heaviness, that spirit of depression, that spirit of de despair and anxiety, and that you would begin to remove it and lift it off of God's people. Lift it off of your people, Lord. I ask God by your power and your authority that it would break, that it would break off of God's people, that it would leave them and loose them now in Jesus' name. And I ask God that you would begin to cover them with a garment of praise God I ask that you would begin to fill them with joy once again Lord I ask God that you would give them joy that that the joy of the Lord would be their strength and even by faith that something inside of them would begin to bubble up oh God and cause them to rejoice even in the midst of their pain that the pain would leave as a, a, a as a um, result of them rejoicing in you by faith I thank you Lord God for taking them into deeper levels of joy joy that they've never experienced before I thank you Lord God that you will go with them that you will fill them that you would lead them and guide them Lord individually and even as a family I thank you Lord God that your peace your presence and your power would permeate their homes Lord in Jesus name every space and place from the living room to the kitchen to the hallway to the den to the bedrooms Lord God that your presence would fill 
their space and their place, God, that everywhere they turn, Lord God, they would have an absolute reminder of you and your promise and who you are in their life. I thank you, God, that you are the good shepherd like in the king, like in the days of King David. I thank you that you are our deliverer like in the days of Moses. I thank you that you are our provider like in the days of Abraham. And I thank you that you are our redeemer like in the days of Paul. Thank you, Lord God, that you came to redeem us and to purchase us and to buy us back by your blood. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are doing in Jesus' name. We say thank you and amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand. Praise. Let's thank the Lord for answering our prayers. Come on, somebody. Praise the Lord for answering our prayers. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. God is good. Oh, you guys learn fast. Amen. Did you learn something today? Amen. Let's call up Pastor Martin to lead us in our tithes and offerings. Give it up for Pastor Martin. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise. God is good. Amen. I have a scripture as we transition to our giving this morning or this afternoon. There's a word in, in the Hebrew Bible that says Shama. Shama. Most of you are wondering what does that mean? It means hear and obey. To take action is what it means. The scripture I have this afternoon for you is found in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. It says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. A portion of the money you have earned. How many of you here are tithers? Faithful tithers. Amen. I believe God's blessings are upon your life because you are men and women of Shama that hear and obey and take action to give what God has given you back to the kingdom of God. In Deuteronomy 8.18 it says, He gives us the power, the power to get wealth, the ability to work, the ability to earn, but also the privilege to give back into his kingdom. Amen. As the ushers make their way forward, I have a few announcements we can give by debit machine. They can facilitate that in the lobby for you. There are envelopes behind your seats. You can give that way as well. Amen. We can text to the numbers that are on the screen or you can uh, do the QR code. Use your smartphone, or you can give online to chapelofchange.org. The announcements that I have is in regards to Good Friday. We're having Good Friday here, 6.45 p.m. in Paramount, and we're having it at 8 p.m. in Carson. Easter Saturday at 5 p.m. in Whittier, the young adults are going to be doing a skit. From what I understand, it's going to be really good. So if you can make your way to Whittier, they're going to have costumes. There's going to be food. It's going to be a good time in the Lord. Amen? We also have Easter Sunday, 6 a.m. sunrise service here 
in Paramount. We're going to have it right there in that parking lot. If you've never been to an Easter sunrise service, make this your first time. Come out. Come out and see what God is doing. Amen? We have a special resurrection offering as well. You know, like Pastor Brian says, he gathers his family around the kitchen table. And they discuss what they're going to give to the Lord. And in part of that discussion, I believe that the question is asked. All that God has done for us. What can we possibly give back to the Lord? What can we give back because of what he's done for us? And that is something that it's up to you and your family. Discuss it and give to the Lord. Amen. We, uh, let's bring a sacrifice to the Lord in honor of Christ's death and resurrection. Now those finances will be given to our uh, Kingsman Discipleship Home. How many understand the Kings, Kingsman Discipleship Home? It's right over here. If, if you haven't seen it, like Pastor Brian says, there's a really nice swimming pool, but it's full of rainwater right now. But I believe God is going to establish, restore, and some of you will be baptized in that pool. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord some praise. Will you pray with me this afternoon in regards to your finances? How many of you need God to move in a mighty way regarding your finances? Come on, let me see your hands. Be honest. You need God to move in your finances. This is your opportunity to sow some seed into good ground. Try me now in this, says the Lord, in the book of Malachi. And see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing over your life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy over our lives. As we sow seed into your kingdom, Lord, we understand and we know that you will continually bless, protect, and provide for our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you are released.
call our pastors up to the altar, our pastors and leaders. Don't forget we have invites to our Easter celebrations. Invite, bring people. Everybody comes to church on Easter. Let God use you to get somebody redeemed. It is our tradition to close out with a blessing. If you'll lift up your hands unto the Lord, uh, we'll dismiss with a blessing. If you need extra prayer after service, you're invited to come to the altar. One of our leaders or pastors will be available to pray for you. Let's receive the blessing of the Lord. In the name of the Father who loves you with an endless love. In the name of the Son who died that you could live. And in the name of the Holy Spirit who fills you with the favor of God. May you go this week with the protection and the blessing of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Hope to see you Friday.